place. It's good to, uh, it is like, like Al said, it's fun to have the local people. And I know there are a lot of, I've met a few people that are relatively new to our body and is checking things out. We're really glad to have every single person who is in this room with us today. Um, really fun. I, I'm in one of those stages of fatherhood that's kind of weird. Many of you know that last night was prom. <clears throat> and some of you aren't there yet and some you know, are way past that. But only like, and I'm almost way past it because my kids here, it's different because uh, you can go to prom all four years, which is kind of strange because you had to wait to be a senior when you were where I grew up. But so my kids have been to a lot of proms, but this one's a little different because now my daughter is, and this is the next to the last one. So we're taking pictures and I think what I'm doing, I just realized as we were singing this morning, I was thinking about life and God and things. It's like, I think I'm putting off coming to the reality of this, you know, because she's about to leave. And so, um, not fun, but I'm trying to not think about that as she's at home sleeping now because I stay up to like five or six in the morning. And thank you, Palmer, for going all night with the kids and and partying with them. Uh, If I can keep her awake, we know that it was at least an entertaining message, if nothing else. So, uh, I... uh, you know, we've started this series on that we're calling Running with Giants. And looking back at what we're doing is looking back at these uh, huge characters of the Old Testament. Really, if you're written about in the Hebrew Scripture, one way or another, you're pretty, that, that's a pretty select group in the terms of all of the people that have ever lived. You know, this is an important group, and they have a lot to say to us. And we're going to, there are so many that we could pick from. We've picked eight or nine. I'm going to read you the names of them. Uh, so even Adam, we talked about last week, Abraham this week, Job, Hannah, David, Hezekiah, Esther, Daniel, and Nehemiah. So those are the ones we're going to look at, and they'll take us right up to the beginning of the summer. And they really, they start obviously with uh, the first couple at the beginning, and they go all the way to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the very last person that anything happens with in the Hebrew scripture. So we'll see this whole package kind of unfold, and it's mostly chronological. Job's the only one we're not sure exactly where that guy falls, because he doesn't reference any, there's no reference to uh, time, or rulers, or epics, or anything like that. So you can't tell where he falls, but, so we're just going to put him in there, uh, maybe third or fourth. So that's what's happening. I I think, too, I, I should say, uh, I've mentioned a few times up here, there was a point in Claire and I's marriage uh, where we went to counseling, because we were really struggling. And when we, we did that, one of the parts of that, the process that unfolded was talking about our families and our heritage and our backgrounds and things like that. And so uh, at one point, uh, of course, you know, when you go to counseling, you think it's all about the other person, right? I don't know if anybody, if you've ever been to counseling, you're like, yeah, we're just going to keep doing counseling until we figure out that it's her, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Which, of course, if you know Claire, it's impossible. So uh, anyway, and so we get to this, this point, and, and we're just talking about how we grew up and things. And there was this light bulb that came on of understanding about my parents. And I was, I don't know, 30, 35 or something like that. And I had this moment where I, you know, my parents, and I don't know if all of you are like this or some of you, but my parent, parents always, they just fit into a different category of human being. You know, they, they, I, I never thought of them as, as people. They are my parents. And, and I don't know why that is. That's how it was for me. And it, at some point there, they became people. And I started to recognize the, 
their history and how it affected them and how that had affected me. And when that light bulb came on, it was this, uh, in a way, it was pretty overwhelming. I mean, I'm not a crier and like I had these tears. I'm like, come on, stop, you know. Uh, Because I was recognizing there were reasons for the history there are reasons for the way things happened, good or bad. And, and it, when I had understanding about them, it helped me to uh, reconcile and, and come into a better relationship with them in general. And in a way, especially with these uh, heroes, these big characters of the faith that we're going to look at, and even today with Abraham, I think in studying this, I've I've had a moment like that where I've even though I've known some of these things about who God is and what he's doing and how he relates to us, that I, I was like, oh, okay, okay, well, that helps me understand him more fully. I see that what he's doing in this relationship, and, and, the, and it, it helps me understand how he made everything happen to get to the point that we are today. And that's, that's the thing we're going we're gonna to see today is the DNA of the gospel in the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Okay, the, the building blocks, the core parts of the gospel are in the covenant that God makes with Abraham way back. So Abraham's, a, a, he and his wife live about 2,000 years before Jesus. And we're about 2,000 years or so after that. And when I say DNA, I don't, you know, it's, this isn't like literary foreshadowing. Like, oh, there's some things that we see that might unfold into the gospel. These are, these are the DNA of the gospel in that, those first things that were happening there and that, that covenant that was being created. And so I, th- I think it's pretty interesting. I don't know where I- any of you will jump off intellectually. I'm going to be real honest up front. Uh, this is theological deep water, and so it's, it, I'm, that's not really my specialty. <laughs> um, so some of you are going to be going, why didn't he talk about that? Or we could have gone so much deeper. Well, that's where you get to go on your own with the Lord <laughs> later on. Okay, so when you, that's, that's your assignment for... Um, and hopefully these will be places that you can step into that. And a couple things about this um, that are important. One is that the gospel is a story of reconciliation, okay? That's what the gospel is. It is the good news of reconciliation between God and man. If you're ever wondering what it is, if, if, if somebody says, well, what's the gospel? And you're like, oh, crud, I'm a Christian, but I can't remember what the gospel is, if that's you. The gospel is the story of reconciliation between God and man. Between, between God and you. And it has re- repercussions between God, in, I mean, between man and man, man and the earth, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things are unfolding. And the gospel is all about that. But uh, another thing is that I would, I would say is that you should be asking, well, why does it matter if the DNA of the gospel is in this covenant, this early thing that was so far back? Does that really even matter? Why are we talking about that? Because that's so far. Uh, who was I talking to um, they had a conversation with somebody in the uh, at a coffee shop, and the person said, "Oh, you're a Christian. Do you do you believe in the Old Testament or the New Testament?" And so, yeah, I mean, that just re- shows that people maybe don't understand, uh, and maybe some of us don't understand that the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Scripture, we just call it the Old Testament, and the New Testament all tie together very tightly and are very importantly interwoven in in the structure, the trajectory of the story of reconciliation. So it's important to understand that. So Old Testament, Hebrew scripture, I'll probably use those interchangeably, okay? They're the same thing. So uh, if you've gone up the, uh, the Silver Queen lift and you're going up 
and, and you see the, some people at the very top of the mountain, and they, they leap off, and they're paragliding off the top of the, the peak, or wherever they jump off right up in there. Okay? That's nuts. I'm just here to tell you. You've you got to have some, and some of you know these people. I don't, I don't know any of these that I know of. Is anybody a paraglider here? Come on. Okay. Okay. So I'm seeing one like, uh, <clears throat> when, you, when you leap off of something like that and you're flying around thousands of feet up, you have, intrinsically, you have a lot of trust in the equipment, right? That sport really depends on the equipment because you, you can't, you know, if you leap off without it, you've got real big problems. So you're dependent on knowing that that stuff is going to hold you up. You know it because you've studied it, you purchased it, you look at it, you test it, you, you know, you, all these things. Well, that is one reason that it's important for us to look back and see how God has been consistent and reliable from the beginning. Because we're putting all of the marbles into that basket, right? That's, that's we're, we're counting on him to be who he said he is. And so it's important to see, and it's beautiful to see, that we can rely on him. He is reliable from beginning to end. Super important. His character is unchanging. And a lot of people say, well, God was different in the, in the Old Testament. And he's different in the New Testament. Well, there, there are different ways that he relates to people and different things that are presented, but he is the same God. And that's some more of that theological deep water. We're not going to spend too much time there. But uh, that's why it matters, because he is reliable, and we need to understand that and see it throughout Scripture. So uh, three points about this DNA that's revealed in the covenant. Uh, one is goodness. The second one is justice, or justness, either one, justice or justness, and sacrifice. Goodness, justice, and sacrifice. We're going to read kind of a long passage here, so hang with me. Palmer, you're going to have to hang with me on this passage. But uh, one thing I need to say before we jump in to read it, to Abraham and Sarah, this couple that God is interacting with, lineage and land are really everything. In their society, that is everything. And God comes somewhere, is mixed into those things. But your lineage, your heritage, your offspring is... There's really nothing bigger. And then the land or the, the place that your offspring can inherit or where they are is the second most important thing to you. So to remember that as we talk through this and read through this. We're going to start in uh, Genesis 15, uh, 1. And we're going to skip over a couple of verses and just, just so we get the highlights of this and understand the story so we can uh, finish by you know, finish this up in a reasonable amount of time. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, God's going to change his name to Abraham, but we're, we're going to call him Abraham as we talk about him. In a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Let's skip down to verse 3. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. In other words, a servant in my house is going to be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man, this person in your household, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, and if you are, if you are able to number them. And he, God said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
Remember what's important to Abraham. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. And Abraham said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, and he cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. And that means they, were, they created an aisle, basically, an opening between the two. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drew, drove them away. And the sun was setting, was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. And the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's the time in Egypt. Okay, and now skip down to 17. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot or an oven, and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. All right. Now, I would imagine that, unless you've studied this before, you may be thoroughly confused about what's going on, and what does this mean, and how does this all play, and how does, what does this mean to me? Again, this, we're going to see the reliability of God just begin to be... Uh, just jump-started in the scripture from this place. So the first thing about the DNA of the gospel that's in here is the innate goodness of the gospel towards human beings. The gospel is good. It is a good thing. It is the most sublime good thing that you can imagine, that I can imagine, that I can come up with. It sets the standard for all good things. And we need to understand, as we go into this, and we're going to see how it unfolds several ways with Abraham, but... There is incomparable goodness about the gospel for us. So let me just say that right up front. So Abraham was like a lot of us. He was very faithful, and then he would soar in faith with God. And this doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not. There are these times in your history, our histories, where we just, we just connect with God, and things seem right, and then we're just slammed into the mud, and we're you know, ground in the mud, and we're, what is going on with my life? Why am I making these decisions? And then we begin to come out and soar. There are these cycles that we go through in life. And Abraham is, I mean, this guy, he, he, was, uh, he was very faithful. His faith was always consistent, but his trust, I mean, it just went up and down like it was uh, all over the place. He was like a ping pong ball. This guy could... And if you continue to read the story through 16, 17, 18, you see how he, he believed in God, but he, he continued not to trust him. And, and we saw last week, you remember the goodness of God towards Adam and Eve? They make this decision to walk away from God, and they begin to, to suffer the consequences of it. And remember the first, what they do, they don't, they don't go and say, God, we're sorry. We're so sorry. We've done this. They cover themselves up, and then they hide from God, Right? These are the consequences of the decision that they made, broken relationships, broken relationship with God and with one another, right? So when, when that happens, God comes along. It was the last point I made last week. God comes along in his goodness to them, and he makes them coverings. He makes clothes for them. So even though God knows what it's going to cost him to redeem these people, 
and how, how ridiculous it was that they made this decision, and likewise us when we're up and down, he still clothes them and cares for them in the consequences of what they have done. So we saw that last week, and that theme continues, uh, because then God promises this son to Abraham, right? Remember I told you how important that was? And here God says, I'm going to prove to you that this is going to happen. And so this is culturally critical in that society for this to happen, right? Now, Abraham, you know, he's 90 years old or so right about now. And I, probably a struggle to, to have a child. And his wife is, is, I think she's 10 years younger, so she's 80. Uh, so there, this, this promise is something very significant to him. And then another aspect of goodness there is a disproportionate reward that God gives us for the tiniest bits of faithfulness. Did you notice uh, at the beginning, it just says, and, um, because of what you've done, I'm going to bless you. Okay, this is a, what he's referring to specifically. Abraham has just turned down the reward of some kings, the accolades of kings, property, and things like that, in, in order to, put, to, to show that he has no other person above him than God. Okay. So he's been offered all this stuff and a title. I, I can't remember all the things, but he's been offered these things. And, and, and then Abraham says no, to re, which shows in that culture that he was putting his, his faith in somebody bigger, and that was God. And so God says, I'm going to reward you. This, this reward is so disproportionate to this small thing that he has chosen to do. And if you look at life, I, I know many of us have many, many hard times, but if you look at the gospel you see that he is continually coming alongside us in ways that we don't really deserve. We haven't earned. And, and that's the beauty also of the gospel. We can't earn that. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, you know, uh, look at verse 5. God brings him outside. He's speaking to Abraham. And he brings him outside and he says, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to do that so shall your offspring be. This is this, you know, not just one son, but this many sons. It's disproportionate, right? It's, it's out of control, the blessing of God. I remember a few years ago, I was with friends, the iPad had just come out and we were up at uh, Lost Lake. And so one of my friends had, had just gotten his iPad and he bought that app where you can hold it up to the sky and see the constellations. Maybe you've seen that. And so, you know, of course, we were like, wow, you know, that is so cool. We were blown away because it was all brand new. And he's showing us all this stuff. Just accru- and Have you been out at night here in, in a beautiful, clear night? And you're like, you know, well, they're in a desert setting too. There aren't a lot of street lights shining up in the, in the sky back then, right? Camel transportation, they didn't need street lights. And so there isn't any, any glow from some town or anything, and they can see this. And can you imagine, this is the... This, I, I guess you'd call this the ultimate astronomer. God, you know, the creator, saying, look at what I did. Wouldn't that be cool to be there? Who knows whatever ever else happened in the conversation. But God says, this is what it's like. You, and he says, you can't count these. We still know we can't count them. Your, your inheritance is very great. And it's a kind of inheritance you can understand and you care about. God meets us in our need, the clothing, the children, the land. So, uh, here, okay, here's another piece. And look what, in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Here's where we see some of that really important stuff about the gospel from the very beginning. 
It was about belief from the beginning. It's always been about belief. There were sacrifices, right? These were social structures set in place to make people right with God, but they weren't valid without belief. And so belief becomes this core piece from the very beginning. And Jesus refers to it. He says, Abraham's belief is what made him right. And the word righteousness, total church word. How many of you say righteousness on a daily basis? Weekly, monthly, no. The only time we hear, I, think, I thought about it for a little while, but the only time I hear the word righteous is when somebody says self-righteous, right? And how many times does the word, unfortunately, self-righteous apply to the church? That is a problem, <laughs> Righteousness, the, the actual word in the Hebrew, uh, the, the one that's, that's used in, the, in the, te- the original text says, is about aligning to what is right. You've now been aligned to what is right. So Abraham has been placed in this spot that is, that is rightness. And this is rightness in relationship with God by belief. And that's so important for us, y'all, to understand. Uh, we, we can't earn a relationship with God, we can't be, you know, we can't be good enough. I've, I've said before, and I, I'm not sure if it's the best way to say it, but it's almost like that teeter-totter. You know, when you're on top of the teeter-totter and it's flopping two different ways. When we believe we're on the other side. And the thing about that is we believe and it's done. Belief is the thing that cuts off the other side of the teeter-totter. We're done, and this is exactly what's happened with Abraham. That doesn't mean the blessings are always going to be applied because Abraham's faithlessness. He's going to struggle with that. But the relationship is settled, and the same thing applies to us today. So you see that, that stream of reliability, that trajectory of liability, li- reliability from the very beginning. All right, so I spent a little extra time on goodness because I really think that's pretty powerful and important for us to understand. But this idea of justice... Uh, it may seem odd to bring up justice in a conversation about the goodness of God. Uh, but we're not talking about um, we're not talking about justice like simply like the courts. Uh, uh, Abraham says, uh, "Well, God, even though you've made these promises to me, and he must have been a pretty bold guy because he says, "God, how can I know that you're going to do this? I mean, wouldn't you just take it for granted?" I would. God speaks to me and says, look, I'm going to give you all these things. And then he says, well, why don't you prove it to me? But let's be honest. How many of us are like, God, prove it. Prove it, prove it. Right? My faith is based on what he does. If he doesn't do stuff or things don't happen the way I want, then I'm like skidding off the tracks. But God proves it. I think, it's, I think maybe Abraham was like the first Reaganite. Trust, but verify so he, he's, he's sure that this is going to happen. So God doesn't seem to be offended. And he says, set up the stuff that people, uh, wealthy people in our community, in this society at that time, would do in order to make a covenant with each other. And so, I mean, it sounds gross to us, but to them it just wasn't a big deal. They cut the animals in half, they lay them aside like that, and then they both walk through and, and say, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then let me be as these animals. So this is what was happening. And, you, you know, most of us don't have uh, education in early customs of, the, you know, Hebrew people or even going back before that. So it's important to understand that that's what's happening. In, okay, here, here's, the, here's the deep piece uh, for me. 
This covenant reveals the justness of God and the justness of God plays out in the scripture, in, our, in all of humanity, and especially in the gospel. So think about this for a second. If I make a covenant with Lisa, or any of us make a covenant, we expect that certain things are going to be upheld. Or else what? Well, that depends on the covenant, right? This is a very significant covenant between God and man. But we all understand that covenants have something to do with right and wrong. Do do you see what I mean? I make a covenant with you. It is right for me to hold it. It is not right for me to break it. That is the sense of a covenant. A covenant goes beyond an agreement or a handshake or anything like that, except in the state of Texas where a verbal agreement is like a covenant. So uh, just so you know. But uh, in in this case, what we're seeing is God sh- sh- revealing the concept of justness and justice that we all understand. Because without it, what would we have if we didn't have a contract, if we didn't have a, uh, an agreement about what is right and wrong? We would have complete chaos. You have to, you have, if, this is where you can go deep with this, if you're a deep thinker. If we are cosmic accidents... How is that idea of justice built in from the moment we are born? That doesn't make any sense. We would have to go from chaos to something different. And if you, all cultures, all time, there is a sense of what is right and wrong. And so that plays into this idea of of the justness coming coming forward. And and when you look forward, uh, and that's where we get to uh, this idea of sacrifice. Because a real covenant requires sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my rights. And do you remember when I said that, that this was a, a pathway, if you will, between these animals where the two people making the covenant would go, both walk through to prove and to, to kind of sign it? When I was a kid, I'm sure kids don't do this anymore. You probably t- tell your kids not to, to have a blood, you know, blood brotherhood, you know? We're going to cut you know, our finger and we're going to shake with blood. And now, that's, you know, now we know that's probably not the best idea ever. <laughs> but, uh, but as a, thir- a third grader, a second grader, right, where we talked about stuff like that and never did it, we understood that. Right? As a child, I understood that I could make a covenant with someone that had to do with my blood, Right? that had to do with my life as a child, right? We get that as ba- as almost as babies. Abraham expected to walk between, to make the co- In fact, if you were making a covenant with a king, why would the king walk through? That doesn't make sense. That, he, the king doesn't have fealty to the person. The person, the subject, would walk between the animals. Do you see what I mean? It, just on the face of it, that's the obvious thing that would happen. So Abraham's cutting him up. He's like, I'm going to make some kind of promise. I don't know what it is in order to be sure this happens. But God is the one who walks through. God is the one who comes through to set the covenant at his cost. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. 
a smoking fire pot, that's an oven, which was a symbol of righteousness, of purification, and a flaming torch, which was like, uh, um, would be like a zeal or power would be reflected in this. So it's a symbolic thing. God doesn't show his face or his body of some sort, but he, Abraham sees this thing happen. The, this pot and flaming torch pass between the pieces. And the Lord, I mean, this is amazing. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. This is the gospel from the beginning. It's not about what you can do. You can't make it right with God. I can't. And here, I've, I've, you've heard me say that a hundred times if you've been here very often. It's all through the scripture, and here it is. This was an amazing thing that happened, and to write about it, to have it recorded would have been even more amazing because it would be so cold. This would be anti-cultural. Abraham should have gone through on his knees, but God comes through in all of this power that is who he is. I want to read you a quote from uh, Tim Keller, who I think sums this up pretty well. He says, God is saying, not only will I be torn to pieces if I don't keep this promise, I'll be torn to pieces if you don't keep this promise. He's taking both sides. God is saying to all of us, O world, I will bless you no matter what, even if it means my immortality must become mortal. Even if my glory must drown in darkness, even if I have to literally be torn to pieces. And he was centuries later on Calvary in thick darkness in the midst. And in the midst of the darkness, there was the person of Jesus Christ literally being torn to pieces, nails, spears, and thorns. Why? He was fulfilling the covenant. And this is how God can be both just and justifier for those who believe. So sacrifice is intrinsic to the gospel. The thing about it is, all of the sacrifice falls on one person. And God knows that from the beginning and begins to reveal that from the beginning. So the DNA of the gospel is in the covenant and the way God makes that covenant. And we see his reliability all the way forward. And we can rely on him in that. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna have communion. Al, if you wanna grab your folks and I'll close this, this part. Father, we recognize that another covenant was made among some men uh, who were with Jesus on the last night of, uh, of his life, just before he would become that sacrifice, before he would, the night before he would take our place and, and substitutionary, substitutionarily uh, take the, the penalty to make us right with you, to bring us into righteousness, to align us with you. And we thank you for that. I pray that we would even celebrate it now. I pray for everyone in here, just that wherever we are, we'd have just a moment of recognizing your goodness and reliability from the earliest days of, of the narrative of your story. In Jesus' name, amen.